Hi, I'm Steve Sensenig. And I'm Rayburn Johnson. And you're listening to Beyond the Box. Beyond the Box is a community of people who are learning how to live beyond the limitations of institutional religion. We are searching out a message that is truly good news for everyone. Through discussions, interviews, group casts, and online interactions, we endeavor to foster a safe place to discuss our spiritual journey. We don't have all the answers, but we are not afraid of any question. So, grab a seat, pour yourself a drink, and join in the community that is Beyond the Box. Welcome to Beyond the Box. Ray, I'll tell you what, man, we're uh, we're we're way out of practice on this, aren't we? <laughs> what what's the name of this podcast again? Uh, I almost forgot. Like, it it was it like Yeah. Oh wait, Beyond the Box. That's right, that's right. The the very infrequent podcast.com. <laughs> man, very infrequent podcast.com. We don't you know, I don't know where Big C is nowadays. I've not heard from him in several years. But if you're out there, Big C <laughs> yeah. in listening land, can you purchase that one for us? <laughs> Right. Yeah. yeah, we used to talk about rabbittrailpodcast.com, and unbeknownst to us, Big C went ahead and bought it for us and redirected <laughs> to our site. Uh, we, he only did it for a year. We don't have it anymore, but I've thought about repurchasing that every once in a while so we could have it. That's still, that, that was really cool. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. my man, my man, we get to, you and, I, you and I chat pretty frequently and message on Facebook especially. We do, but, yes. uh we were just noticing it's been over three months since you and I podcasted together, yeah. and it's been the first of July basically since the last time we posted an episode with Jim Douglas. So, yep, that's right. So, what is going on in your life, my brother? Well, right now we are in Eastern Tennessee, uh, actually just a few miles from the Bristol Motor Speedway. And this weekend coming up is the big August race at Bristol Motor Speedway. Big. Uh, race week as they call it here and so uh, we're just surrounded by a ton of partying campers um, and can i here to have a good time can i yeah. throw a parenthetical thought in there you, yeah sure for those who don't live in the american south this is how <laughs> big the bristol race is i live in nashville tennessee which is like yep. five hours away from where you're at in bristol <laughs> And as my wife and I were driving somewhere the other day, they had a billboard for the Bristol race. I believe it. And we live like five hours away. Yep. So, yeah, it's a big deal. It's huge. It's huge. And so everybody's converging on this little area. The campground we're in is uh, really the only option we have uh, for the work I'm doing right now. I'm back at the the theater that I used to work at full-time playing for a show. Right now, we just opened last weekend. Uh, it's called Ring of Fire. It's the Johnny Cash music. And, uh, I fell into a burning ring of fire. That's it. Yep, that's it. You got it, man. And uh, we, uh, we're we selling out the house, man. It's, uh, it's a big hit for this region. Um, and, of course, you know, Johnny Cash married into the Carter family. And the Carters got Bristol. their start right here in Bristol, that's Tennessee. It. That's it. Uh, in fact, uh, a couple of years ago, well, actually, it's been a few years now. It was 2006, so it's been eight years, I guess. Uh, I music directed a show called Keep on the Sunny Side, which is the story of the Carter family. And uh, now I'm participating in Ring of Fire, which is Johnny Cash. So it's kind of cool to be a part of you know stuff that's appropriate to this region and things that 
that people identify with here. Uh, and it's just fun music to play. Um, but anyway, we're doing that. And so this campground's really the, the best place for our family to stay. But we have this race week here and things Ooh. get really crazy. So, um, you know, I just have to kind of make sure to plan ahead so I get through the traffic before it backs up. We're, uh, I don't know if I said this already, we're just about two and a half miles uh, away from the racetrack. So Man. it's a, it's a big crowded area right now. So you're with, hanging out uh, with about 50,000 of your closest friends right now, huh? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. That's my version of community right now. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of it to be had there. <laughs> yeah, but uh, let's see. We're here for another few weeks. I've got about three more weeks left in this run. And then uh, we're going to hang out here for another couple weeks. I'm actually performing with the Symphony of the Mountains in Kingsport, Tennessee, uh, I'm going to be playing a piece with them, which I'm really excited about doing in the middle of September. And then uh, we're going to travel for a couple weeks up to Pennsylvania and back down here to Bristol for a week and then over to Nashville for whoop, the Beyond whoop. the Box Gathering. What was that again? For what? <laughs> for the Beyond the Box Gathering hey. in 2014. Let's talk about that because for those of you who don't know, we've been trying to advertise it as much as possible through our different yeah. uh, social media venues, but... October 16th through the 19th, and uh, right outside of Nashville, Tennessee, about 30 minutes outside of Nashville, Tennessee, we are going to be having a get-together of any and all who want to participate in the Beyond the Box first annual 2014 gathering! Woohoo! <laughs> so yeah, we've it's got gonna be so much fun, man. Man, we've got uh, Brad Jerzak and Jamie Arpenrisi going to join us by Skype. We've got Jim yep. Palmer in the flesh. Or in the spirit, uh-huh. or hopefully both. Um, both, yeah. <laughs> we we've got a uh, lot people coming from different places around the country, dude. I couldn't be more stoked right now. We've got some special rates on hotels for those of you who want to travel yep. from out of town. So it's I know it's uh, by the time we post this episode, which will hopefully be very soon. Um, mm-hmm. It'll only <laughs> yeah, be hopefully about not after the gathering. Yeah, hopefully not after the gathering. <laughs> But it'll only be about a month and a half until until the gathering. So yeah. if you guys want more details and you're listening to this podcast right now, either email Steve or Ray at Steve at Beyond the Box dot com or Ray at Beyond the Box right. dot com. We're going to be yep. only about uh, most of the most of the gathering is going to take place about ten minutes from my house. So if you're needing yeah. logistic, you know, logistical details and plans and things like that, you might want to. Shoot me an email just because I can help you with some of the accommodation details. We've got special rates at a hotel where they're giving us about $40 off per room at the hotel where we're going to have a conference That's room nice. at. And um, I, I tell you, Steve, I think you and I both in the last couple of weeks, the three, four weeks, whatever it is, you and I have just kind of gotten over the moon about this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, we came up with this idea a long time ago, really. We've talked about this for several years. Probably, yeah, two or three years. Wanting to do something like this, and then we finally just kind of took the plunge, and earlier this year started asking people, hey, are you interested in doing something like this? And uh, now that we're actually in the the final stages of putting it together, yeah, it's extremely exciting. I'm I'm still kind of uh, having trouble comprehending the fact that we're actually doing this, Ray, because... Up until this time, up and you know, without, or I'm sorry, with the exception of just a few, uh, you know, get together with a couple people here and there, we've never done anything official 
in person with Beyond the Box. And so it's always been online. Everything's been, been just uh, Internet-based. And so the whole notion of pulling people together in one place uh, to have community together for a couple of days is is uh, just really amazingly awesome to consider, yeah. and I'm really looking forward to it. There's so uh, many looking people forward to some of the people we're going to get to meet. So many people next who I'm looking forward to hugging and hanging mm-hmm. out with, and uh, it, yep. it is really going to be a good time. We've got um, just to let you guys know if you're kind of wanting a skeleton sketch of the of the schedule. Mm-hmm. Boy, that was alliteration if ever I've heard it. A skeleton yeah, right. sketch of the schedule. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh, those pastoral days are flooding back into my yeah, brain. Right. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, we're going to mainly, I mean, we, there, there's a lot to talk about, but just to hit the highlights on Friday, we're going to, we've booked a hotel conference room. That's really nice that we're going to get to hang out in. And in the morning session, we're going to Skype in Jamie Arp and Reese for some discussion on community. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to have some some roundtable dialogue as well with everyone who's there. It's going to be a very participatory uh, level playing field type gathering. This is not a, a seminar where you come to right. sit and, and be taught by someone, but it's going to be a kind of a theology in the round, if you will, or community mm-hmm. in the round, if you will. And uh, I like that term. The afternoon session, we're going to have Brad Jerzak joining us by Skype to talk about uh, the Theology of Consent and his latest book that he's working on, talking mm-hmm. about a more Christ-like God. And then Jim yeah. Palmer, we're still a little bit sketchy on the details. He's going to be joining us in person, um, mm-hmm. either on Friday or Saturday or both. And uh, he's going to be talking about spirituality and, and uh, living as the real you, which I'm super duper excited about. Jim is just an awesome yeah. guy. And anybody who's here... Um, is if you've read any of his books, a just awesome, awesome, mm-hmm. awesome stuff. But uh, even better is to be with him in person because he's a super cool guy who's just one of the gang and mm-hmm. doesn't look at himself as anything more than that. So very fun. And then in the midst of all that, we're gonna have tons of good hangout time on Saturday. Yep. We're gonna go to the state park that you and Christy and your family are gonna be staying uh-huh. at. Uh, we've got a pavilion there that we've rented out and we're going to do a little hiking, some great conversation time. Um, It's just going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. If you're anywhere in the area, make a beeline. Yeah, definitely. And and let us know you're coming. Um, And just, just to be clear too, we say the 16th through the 19th, we're not really planning anything official on the 19th. Exactly. Uh, We're giving people the option of traveling back on that day, but uh, but there is opportunity during the morning to get together. Um, actually, I think a couple of us, Ray, are going to be going to a Catholic Mass that morning. Yeah, we've been talking um, about doing a I'm, Catholic Mass. I know some I'm people are talking about, about that. getting together at IHOP for breakfast. I'm hearing all sorts of different things yeah. that people are talking about doing. So there'll probably be little groups all over the area. <laughs> yeah, which is cool, too. It's really, really neat to have the opportunity to, to do things. And, you know, it's, it's like in, on one hand, we're... We're planning this event, and on the other hand, it's just a chance to get together and hang out, and and you know we don't want it to be so super formal like a conference or no. a convention, you know, um, but just an opportunity to. I, I love what you said about theology in the round and community in the round, uh, because that is a big part of our philosophy and and what we base beyond the box on. Uh, you know, a long time ago, Ray, we did a podcast called Wiki Theology. 
Uh, you know, and, uh, I was here thinking the same thing. I was thinking that term. I like that one even better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it, it's you know just the the notion. And I know there's there's there are different perspectives in looking at this, and and sometimes we're actually going to be talking about some of this in our in our podcast tonight. But uh, great segues just, here. You know, some people think that that there has to be a lot of structure and a lot of formality and a lot of uh, quote unquote leadership, and yet you and I really do believe that uh, there's a, a tremendous amount of freedom in letting the spirit move as he wills Mm -hmm. and uh, letting people contribute whatever they can contribute. You know, it's uh, I've often used the analogy in the past of, of a a potluck dinner, you know, where everybody brings something to the table to chew on and some things might be more substantial than others. You know, you might bring uh, a fairly substantial entree. I might just bring a loaf of bread, but they're all part of the meal and they're all part of the, the uh, nourishment that we receive from it. And mm-hmm. so I think in a lot of ways, community and theology can be done in that, in that sense um, with just gathering around a table, you know? Well, with one caveat, it, it's, it, it, if you're going to do it in the context of Christianity, it has to be a pot blessing, not a potluck. <laughs> yeah, we used to call them pot providence. Pot providence is always the term pot, we use. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I've forgotten about that. This reminds me of the episode that we did years ago on Christian superstition. You know, uh-huh. I mean, I, I remember when people would be like, "No, it's not a potluck; it's a pot blessing," because you couldn't use the yes. word luck because luck indicated that God wasn't in control. Oh goodness! Speaking of control, uh, speaking yeah, of control, control. we uh, we've been we've been going down this road of talking about wiki theology and. Uh, community in the round, theology in the round, whatever you want to call it, where everyone contributes. And we're finding that the antithesis of that is a uh, push to exert control over others. And um, right. we've we found all sorts of examples that seem to be all over the place recently, but one in particular mm-hmm. that got my dander up last night as I was, uh, as I saw <laughs> it posted on a friend's wall. And then today I've seen it posted in a couple of different groups was um, this clip. And I don't want to say the people's name that are involved because yeah. I can't verify that. Um, but right, exactly. I, I think I know who it is, but I've been trying yeah. to verify it and I can't do it yet. So I'm not going to use names, but anyway, there's a clip floating around out there um, that's at a large conference at what appears to be a Pentecostal church um, or charismatic church, however you want to say it. And the Mm -hmm. speaker who is a lady, um, she is basically, she is basically talking about how God did not put it in your heart to question your pastor. That is the devil. How dare you? (laughs) Who do you think you are to question the man of God? You're simply a dumb sheep. Who's still wet yep. behind the ears, et cetera, yes, et cetera. Yes. And, and the thing, Steve, that almost bothers me or maybe even bothers me more than the words mm-hmm. that she's saying is the fact that there's literally thousands of people in this congregation right. that are rooting her on and cheering for her uh-huh. and giving her yep. hallelujahs and amens while she's telling them uh-huh. to their face that they're dumb yeah, and that they yeah. can't. They basically can't question anything because they just need to fall in line with whatever the pastor has designed for their lives. Yeah, she said something to that effect of, you know, it doesn't matter what you want to do. If your pastor disagrees with it, it's not of God. It's wrong. Man. 
And, you know, here's, I, I want to say this right out of the gate, Ray, because I, there were several, at least in the, the posting <clears throat> that I saw of it on Facebook, there were several uh, people who wanted to say, well, that's the fringe, that's, that's the lunatic, um, it, as if to say this is not the norm. And, and, you know, the reality, Ray, is that I think she was just being really honest about what a lot of people in organized religion really do think. Mm-hmm. But in that tradition, that uh, because it did appear to be a Pentecostal or charismatic type service, that tradition tends to be very upfront about their control, mm-hmm. uh, about the pastoral authority. And but I've I've worked in several different denominations and styles and and forms of churches, and I've seen that that pattern of belief exists mm-hmm. pretty much I'll, I'll say pretty much across the board it's just not always said so bluntly and so blatantly yeah yeah but i i want to make sure right off the bat that we we make it clear that we're not just pointing out an isolated fringe situation and trying to say you know well this just applies you know like it, it's kind of you know if you Take the Westboro Baptist, say, you know, as an example and say, oh, well, that's Christianity. Most people would say, no, it's not. That's a fringe group, you know. And in this case, I think a lot of people would just dismiss this video because it seems so over the top and so outrageous to those of us that aren't in those circles that a lot of people would just dismiss it and say, well, yeah, that's that's kind of out of the ordinary. But I'm really not convinced that it is, Ray. And that's part of what you and I want to talk about tonight is that this these types of control really do exist in a lot of different facets, especially when we're talking in the area of religion and in the area of the church. Well, and that's, that's one thing um, that I've noticed, in, even in some of the comments today about that post on different mm-hmm. <clears throat> various groups and, you know, on different people's pages, is that there is a tendency to dismiss it and then to kind of juxtapose that overt control um, against, you know, how God really wants pastoral ministry or fivefold ministry to operate. And right, I kind of look right. at that and go, you know, I understand what you're trying to do in distancing yourself from this, but the right. truth is right. it's almost, I don't want to say impossible because yeah. we have a number of friends who are still within the institutional church who, um, you know, seem to be very healthy and, and function well in their life in Christ. And so I'm not in any way judging them by saying this, but I'm just saying, I think that what we do is we have a tendency to see those extremes to juxtapose Mm -hmm. them against our quote unquote healthy version and therefore overlook the, um, the comparisons that actually are there and do exist whether and and the yeah. more dangerous ones, honestly, because when it's overt like that, when someone's in your face uh-huh. and telling you you must listen to the pastor, you're simply a dumb right. sheep, yada yada. When they're right. doing that, it's so overt that it's easy to put your fingers on if you're looking for it. Um, but there's yeah, exactly. so many more subtle forms of control mm-hmm. that I mm-hmm. see every day on Facebook um, and just out on the internet and in the world in general that yeah. are not overt and that are very covert, but they're yeah. attempts to either, um, 
I've seen all all sorts of ways that control gets exerted um, through shame is a is a big mm-hmm. one through mm-hmm. um, making people feel like they're not as smart as you are or don't have the education that you do. Um, right. There's just you know there's a hundred and one ways I've seen that people use to exert control, whether or not they have a title, whether or not they're getting paid, mm-hmm. whether or not they're at the head of a church or of an organization. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of ways that you see people um, exert themselves over others as a form of control right. um, in ways that almost make people humble themselves beneath that person. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, let, let's, um, let's take a different angle for a moment here, Ray. And, and let's, um, uh, before we start to just come down real heavy on people who control, <laughs> let's. You mentioned about the one of the disheartening things in that particular video was the number of people cheering this gal on, and not cheering her on from the sidelines, but basically receiving what she was saying, saying yes, bring this on to us. You're right. I am dumb. I need my pastor. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. And and you know I I have. Um, recently I've been doing a lot of thinking when I say recently, the last few months or so, I've been doing a lot of thinking about the tendency of human nature to want to be controlled mm. by someone or something that we can see. And I, I think back as a great example of the passage where it talks about Israel saying we want a king. Mm. That there was a a desire, and actually it even goes before that to Israel telling Moses, you go up to the mountain when God had, had allegedly invited all of them up there. And he, they said, no, you go to the mountain, you talk to him, you come back and tell him what he, what tell us what he said, and we'll do whatever you tell us to do. Mm. There seems to be this desire to be controlled and a desire to, I don't know if it's a, if it really comes from like just wanting to abdicate our responsibility to take care of ourselves or to be, you know, to be responsible for our own decisions. But you know what I'm saying? There's, there's Mm -hmm. this, this natural instinct to say, let me find somebody who can make decisions for me, who can make me feel like I belong or make me feel like I'm acceptable. Or, and so I think a lot of times that happens in these types of environments we're talking about where, People receive that kind of control because they think, well, this is how it, this is how it, you know, is safer for me. Well, uh, there you hit it. That's what I was exactly getting ready to say is or safer, that they make me mm-hmm. feel safer. It's not – I think that making me feel accepted is a part. Um, right. And making me feel like I belong, I think that's a part of it. But honestly, I think the biggest mm-hmm. part of it is the safety issue because yeah. we want someone – religion has been so – uh, rooted in and driven by fear that mm-hmm. we want someone to make us feel safe. And when someone comes along yeah. who can throw down some very clear and distinct black and white boundaries and borders and right. um, can tell us what side of each issue to belong to or to be, to, mm-hmm. to find ourselves on um, mm-hmm. it simplifies the world for us and it helps us navigate yeah. through the world. It removes the gray areas and leaves right. us with just clear-cut choices. And the truth mm-hmm. is, most of us want that. Most of us, 
And there's a stage of life that all of us go through where I think mm-hmm. we find ourselves there at least for a while. Um, yeah. I think the, I think fundamentalism very much um, finds itself rooted in that. Yeah. It's this thing that, yeah. and, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, honestly, I think the, what they call the new Calvinism um, mm-hmm. that's grown so much among younger people, especially in their 20s. I think that's right. one reason is because it makes sense of the world. What The, the sense mm-hmm. that it makes of the world is really uh, screwed up, and you end yeah. up with a really ugly version of God. But right. people are willing to trade that many times because at least it makes sense of the world. At least I can have some clear-cut, clearly defined boundaries, and I can navigate my way through life without all of the complexities mm-hmm. and ambiguities that mm-hmm. are, you know, part and parcel for walking on this earth. Right, right. Yeah, and I think that, that uh, what you're kind of getting at is the uh, immediacy of having answers rather than being willing to discover answers as we travel along. Mm. You know, I, I think so often mm. the 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 debate centers around objectivity versus subjectivity, which some of us are starting to question whether or not that distinction even exists. Yeah. Whether well and, and by that I mean can you really be objective? Is there any such thing um, as objectivity? Is is there any such thing as objectivity? At least from our perspective, is it possible to be objective about things? So anytime people st- say, well, you know, I, I don't have to worry about whether, I don't, I don't have to worry about making this decision because if I ask this person what I should do, then they're going to be objective about it for me. So I, I'm not being subjective in my own mind. I'm not just doing what I want to do. You know, people often think that their own desires are are subjective and what other people tell them is objective. And so they think that somehow objective is superior to subjective. But I think that objectivity itself, in a lot of ways, uh, and I want to be careful not to overstate this, but I think objectivity itself is a myth. Mm -hmm. And so when when we say, well... I'm going to ask that person what I should do because they can be more objective about it. They might be able to be more objective about it, but they're still going to be very subjective about it. So like my experience when I was involved in a Pentecostal church where the pastor did very overtly try to control people's lives and tell people who they should marry or shouldn't marry and whether they should move away and take this job in a different state or whatever, he wasn't being objective. He presented it as, you know, he was speaking God's will to them. But more often than not, it had to do with his own subjective desires for his little kingdom that he was building. Mm-hmm. So if, a you know, like myself as a talented musician, they didn't want me to consider going to another church, mm-hmm. even if I felt God was leading me away, because I was serving a purpose in their kingdom mm-hmm. of, you know, providing the music that they wanted and, and supporting the, the uh, type of worship that they were wanting to have in their church. And so they... They were very resistant to the idea of me moving out of state or whatever, um, because that was their subjectivity, you know? Well, you know, I think that that the belief that we have access to an objective point of view or God's eye point of view, whatever you want to call it, um, Mm -hmm. I think that it ignores what I'll call the situatedness of the human condition. Yes. 
the fact that yes. we all are situated in a specific mm-hmm. time, a specific place, a specific culture that heavily influences yep. our ability to reason, to uh, rationalize. Um, so, therefore, you know, the same truth, quote unquote truth, presented in a Western, not not even just a Western context versus an Eastern context, but mm-hmm. certain things presented in a Southern American context versus a Northern American context are right. totally are are totally yes. different, and your perspectives just between those two different cultures can fluctuate hugely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how mm-hmm. much more? Not only when we separate the hemispheres. But when right. we separate ourselves by thousands of years, so that, yeah. for instance, when we get to things like the Bible, and we yep. want to read the Bible, and you know, many people who talk about taking the Bible quote unquote literally talk about how yeah. they just want the the quote unquote plain reading of the text. That's what they they want to yeah. get. It ignores yep. the fact that when you're two thousand years removed from a document. And mm-hmm. an entire world away from where that document occurred, you are completely right. away from any um, reasonable <laughs> attempt to get at yeah. a plain reading of the text. Right, right. Yeah. What what a a uh, an American a United States of American citizen in the year twenty fourteen reads in a document that was written in the ancient Near East. 3,000 years ago is going to be completely different than exactly. what a person of that time and that culture well, would have read. Now, we can sometimes come closer to understanding the context and the culture of that, but you're absolutely right. There, there's so much grid that goes into that that to think that we're reading it plainly is is rather... Um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I, I want to say ludicrous. <laughs> I think well, it's, yeah, arrogant too. Yeah, I was know, trying to be kind. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll give you one example. This is just a small example that that just came to mind is on the subject of of wealth and poverty. Um, you know, there's mm-hmm. so many times that the New Testament or the Old Testament as well will give instructions to the rich about sharing with the poor or about right. how how the rich are to behave or just different things like that. And the funny thing is I remember right. growing up and when I would read the rich, I always imagined people other than myself, I always imagined <laughs> yeah. people that lived, you know, in gated communities with 10 bedroom yeah. houses, etc. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now I realize, Oh crap, it's talking to me because <laughs> in my context, I'm you in know. the top like 5% of the world uh, in yeah. the resources I consume and the, the, right. you know, income that I, that I get per year. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it, it totally, it totally flips the script and that's just yeah. one small example. I mean, this is yeah, all over example. the 66 books. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a great example. And I, and I think, See, this is this is one of the areas that I'm really wrestling with, Ray. To be honest, and I, you know, I probably have have been even more open on this podcast than I want to be sometimes about some of the questions that I have and the the things that I'm wrestling through in my spiritual journey. But this whole the whole concept of scripture is something that I'm 
wrestling with right now because and and this relates to this issue of control because we're we're trying to it feels to me like so often we're trying to um control interpretation of the text we're trying to control how other people read it and we're we're trying to say if you just read it this way it'll all make sense it'll all work out it'll all uh be understandable and I, I, I'm just kind of at the point where I'm thinking, are we even asking the right starting questions? Mm-hmm. You know, um, like, for example, there was a, a discussion in our, our Facebook group recently. Of, I'm trying to remember the, the exact context of it, but it, it revolved around the uh, story of Noah and the Ark. And uh, I think it was actually a thread that I started because I, I came across this uh, kid's song and and I had forgotten some of the songs that we sang as kids, but this this newer kid song that was out was saying something about we're going to rock the ark, a party on the uh, water, you know, this kind of thing, party on the sea. And I, I just got to thinking about how kind of twisted that is, that a story that talks about 99.99999% of the planet being destroyed, people, animals, etc., would be even considered to be something in during which others would party. Mm. You know, the, mm. the eight people that got saved and the small sampling of all the animals, supposedly, in this story that, that got saved from total destruction, that they would just be partying because they got saved and nobody else did, which we've seen that kind of theology play out in a lot of people's theologies and, and beliefs about heaven and hell. But anyway, in the context that we were talking about the flood and, and, you know, how do we read this story? What, how would we teach this story? What do we get out of it? And uh, several have endorsed the idea, and I, I have a lot of respect for this on one level, that the uh, stories in the Old Testament, especially those first 11 chapters or so of Genesis, uh, that they are very similar to stories that exist in just about any other culture but that they twist the story to teach us something different about God. So that, for example, with the flood story, the twist is that God says, I'm never going to do this again. Whereas in other cultures, you always have this the threat of God destroying creation again. Um, and so the, the implication then is, well, if we just read it with that understanding, that that's the point of the story is to twist and uh, subvert the message of what everybody else believes around us, that then it makes sense and it becomes a beautiful thing. And i got to be frank with you, I'm still kind of struggling to even accept that interpretation because it still contains the story of massive destruction. Mm -hmm. So it's not that God didn't do it, it's that God's never going to do it again. Well... I'm at a point where I read it and go, I don't think God could have ever done that to begin with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that <clears throat> very much like um, what we were talking about a few moments ago about ministry and how we have a tendency to, when we see an example that's so blatantly over-the-top controlling and horrible as what we see in that video, mm-hmm. we have a tendency to juxtapose yeah. that against the healthy version I think in the right. same way, and and I'm like you, the, we, we've said for six years now that this is two guys thinking out loud 
And so mm-hmm. I'm doing as much thinking out loud as you are, and we both find ourselves. Yeah. You and I are funny because sometimes I feel like we share the we share a brain. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> because we'll, you'll say something, and I'll be like, "I was just thinking that," or vice versa, or mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it, it's it's rare. It's rare that we're on different pages. Um, right. <laughs> so, some people have taken that as a bad sign, but I don't know. I, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I but, hope so. But anyway, I've very much. I'm very much on the same page with you again. And mm-hmm. I honestly use that same question that we pose to ministry about the Bible myself mm-hmm. and have been for a while of going, you know, maybe this isn't a thing where we're juxta where we should juxtapose good readings of the Bible against bad readings of the Bible and say the right. good readings are what's preferred and the bad readings are what we need to move past. I think mm-hmm. that's a good step, and maybe that is where we're to end. I don't know. But like you, I question sometimes, were we even supposed to have a quote-unquote Bible? Um, right. You know, when when we think about the Eastern Orthodox versus the Protestant versus the Catholic versus the Coptic, mm-hmm. they all have different size canons with different books therein. Some books right. are universally agreed on, others are not. But regardless, mm-hmm. they none of none of us can agree on exactly what the quote unquote canon is, um, right? And it kind of begs the question of whether or not we were ever intended to have a quote unquote canon. Not right. that there's a problem with us having writings from early followers of Jesus, and that those right. being informative for our faith, or even that we would have mm-hmm. writings from prophets of old, and that those would be informative to our faith. But right. there's almost a level of control that the Bible has has ascended to mm-hmm. and exerts in our lives as believers that um, you and I have both been questioning now for a while mm-hmm. and going, you mm-hmm. know, we read over and over again, especially in the Gospels, these letters themselves, and in, in the very thing that we call the canon, we read over right. and over again about Jesus saying how the Spirit would be given to us to lead us into all truth. Right. And how the Spirit's mm-hmm. job would be to teach us all things and to remind us of everything Jesus said and, you know, all mm-hmm. all of that kind of thing. But we don't ever read anything, uh, you know, where Jesus said, you know, God will compile these writings from the past and also these writings that are right. going to occur in the next, you know, 80 to 100 years and... God's going to put them mm-hmm. all in a, a book that's going to get passed down to you <laughs> that you'll need to read along Great. with your devotional th- that you pick up at your Christian bookstore um, <laughs> for a few minutes each day, you know, and you'll need to navigate your life and make all of uh-huh. your decisions based on random right. parsings of pieces um, that right. will be eventually broken into verses of yep. said document. <laughs> it, it's it's and just every, not any there. thought that you come up with, every, any thought you come up with has to, anything you choose to believe has to be filtered through these, and, these writings. And the irony is, Steve, especially when we go back to that video and we think about the context that that was set in, in the context of a charismatic mm-hmm. or Pentecostal church, a context mm-hmm. that emphasizes the role of the Holy Spirit and right. over and over and over again is said from the pulpit how God showed me this or God revealed this to me or God helped me write this book or God gave me the words to this song 
And even in the very context of the video itself, the lady stops at the end of the clip and says, now, God, you told me to say this. You're going to have to help me say this. You told me to say this. They don't want to hear it, but you told me to say this. It's like, okay, now, wait a minute. Let's back up the cart there and see if maybe Uh we've accidentally got the horse behind it. Because you're basically (laughs) saying that God is telling you something that's not equivalent to something God told other people 2,000 years ago. And it's like God either talks or he doesn't. There there can't be a hierarchy. Can there be a... Okay, I shouldn't say can't. I'm posing this in the form of a true question. Can there be a hierarchy in what God says? Can there be a hierarchy in what you say? Can, Can... you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think it's a great question. And see, I I think the fact that we think that 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 all even all that has to become objective, I think is is missing the point. Like, for example, in, in relationship, just person to person relationship, there are times when, let's say, I'll make up an example. Let's say my wife says something to me and the kids. The kids may understand it completely differently than I do because I have a different relationship with her than they do. But it doesn't mean that necessarily any of us is right or wrong. Hmm. And it doesn't mean that she didn't communicate well. And it may even possibly work on all those different levels so that what they understand applies to them and what I understand applies to me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, uh, and I'm not even going to try to come up with a, an actual concrete example because I'll mess it up in the process. But I'm just thinking in relationship, this is the, this is the thing for me. This is where it starts to really, um, it makes sense to me. Uh, and I, I just kind of question the, the questions that we're asking is that relationship is dynamic and it's organic and it, it is fluid relationship is not built on propositions mm, mm-hmm. so when when we talk about um because this is one of the the critiques against uh the notion that we all can hear from the spirit is people will say well but this person says god told him this and this person says god told him that and those two things contradict therefore they can't be trusted to be true and therefore, this whole notion of hearing from the Spirit is null and void, and we need an objective standard. It always comes back to this objectivity. So if the person in the congregation says, God's telling me to take this job, and the pastor says, no, God's telling me that you're not supposed to take that job, the implication is one has to be right and one has to be wrong. Well, maybe that's not even the question to be asking. The question we should be asking is, is God going to tell the pastor something for that person Right. versus can that person hear from God directly? And why would God have to go through a mediator if the whole point of the spirit is that we no longer need a mediator? Exactly. Jesus was our mediator. So, you know, when we, when we talk about this, the subjectivity, I think that that's something that should be embraced rather than um, run away from that we we should embrace the subjectivity of relationships so that if so, like, for example, there are some people I know who will tell me that they get a lot of benefit out of reading the scripture. 
And you know what, right? I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. If that if that is something that gives them um, a greater understanding of what God's communicating to them, then that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But if someone else says, you know, I really believe that God speaks to us in ways that are not put down in text form, and therefore I'm walking forward in that relationship, then that shouldn't be problematic either. Mm-hmm. And the person who relies on Scripture shouldn't be critical of the one who claims to walk by the Spirit alone. And the one who walks by the Spirit shouldn't be critical of the one who wants to read the Scripture and and try to understand God through that means. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when we try to force it into an either-or, we always end up with this conflict. And here's, as I'm saying this, this is one of the things that I'm realizing, and I kind of hinted at this in a comment in one of the threads that you and I both participated in today. Part of it has to do with how we identify the other. Mm. If we look, like, for example, this lady standing on stage telling these people, you are sheep. She's putting herself outside of the category that they're in. Mm -hmm. She's saying, I'm in a different, or your pastor is in a different category. You're the dumb sheep. He's the shepherd. Therefore, you need to listen to what he says. Mm -hmm. But that's not that's not the way that God positioned it. That's not the way Jesus taught it. Jesus said that he was the shepherd and that we were the sheep. So I have no right to look at someone else and say, you're a sheep. You need to listen to what I say. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and he as even, soon as, yeah, go ahead. He, I was going to say, and he even says, you know, don't let anyone call you teacher. Don't let anyone call you mm-hmm. master or rabbi or, you know, so right. when you've got to go by names like, you know, prophet or prophetess or uh-huh. reverend or, you know, bishop yep. or, you know, elder or whatever. When you got to, when you have to yeah. go by that or, or doctor, that's another one. You know, when you when yeah. you feel like you have to assert those, right? I think the I think the thing is, is you have to ask yourself, why do I feel the necessity to put a prefix on mm-hmm. my name? Is it because mm-hmm. I'm wanting to? Without earning the trust or without earning the respect, I'm wanting to short-circuit the process and make you respect me or make you trust me or make you submit to me without actually Mm -hmm. having a true connection with you. Exactly. And because for me, it always comes back to this notion of relationship and connection. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is the thing that gets short-circuited when we say uh, this book contains the answers for us or this person has the answers for us or this process will cause you to have the answers for others. Mm -hmm. You know, it it really, you know, what you and I have tried to base our community on, at least our online community, and I really think this, I mean, this is very much what yours and my relationship is like too. Uh, Our our relationship is built very much on mutual trust and respect Mm -hmm. and neither of us lording anything over the other. You know, we, we discuss things, we share questions with each other. We offer answers sometimes to those questions, but it's never from the standpoint of, you know, I don't come to you and say, well, Ray, I know you have all the answers. Mm -hmm. So therefore I'm going to ask you the questions. 
I ask the questions and sometimes you turn around and go, hmm, that's a good question. I have the same question. And then together we can explore answers. Mm-hmm. What you and I have tried to establish in our online community is a very similar approach where no one has a place of position above any other for any reason other than earned respect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when someone earns respect then they're going to automatically have more weight in what they say. We've talked about this before, the whole concept of elders. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people in my life that I respect very much. I'll go ahead and throw a name out here. Brad Jerzak is one who's in our group mm-hmm. that I respect. When Brad speaks, I'm going to automatically give him extra weight in what he says. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not going to automatically believe what he says, and I'm not going to just swallow everything he says, but I'm going to give it, an extra listen. Gordon Savage is another one in our group. Let, let me throw. Let, I listen. Let me throw something in there. When you're talking about, yeah. for instance, with Brad, Brad, mm-hmm. Brad has a doctorate. He is literally Doctor right. Bradley Jerzak. But yeah. the fact that he has a doctor in front of his name is not at all why you right. or I respect his opinion or why we give it more weight. It's because yeah. over a period of years, he has demonstrated. Mm-hmm a level of humility and humble influence. And in our private conversations between the three of us, he Mm -hmm. has exhibited a, um, a willingness to not only be a sounding board, but also to use Mm -hmm. us as a sounding board so that there's a mutuality there. There's a mutuality where, where he trusts our input just like we trust mm-hmm. his input. So there's a reason there. And, he, even though he, and you ha- know, to be honest, go ahead. I didn't even know Brad had a doctorate until recently. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I just didn't know it because that, again, like you're saying, that's not the, the focus of the respect or the trust. But that's the thing is when you, th- this is what I'm realizing more and more is that in the world, I go to a job every day. And Mm -hmm. I work in a huge company where there are tons of levels of hierarchy. If you started Mm -hmm. at me and went up the food chain, there are so many levels between me and the CEO of the company that Mm -hmm. it would be, it it would make, it would make um, any institutional denomination or, um, you know, it, it would make the Catholic Church or the Greek Orthodox or any of them <laughs> look like, you know, everybody sat in one room. <laughs> I mean, that's how many levels there are between me and the next guy. Yeah. And those levels are emphasized on a regular basis so that mm-hmm. my opinion, even though many of these people I've never met before or they've never met me, there's automatically right. weight to their words because mm-hmm. they have you know, the supervisor of this or the manager of this or the director of this or the VP of this next under their signature in their email. Right. In the body of Christ, those things are not to be so. When Jesus laid out the rules, the ground rules for the kingdom of God, he did Mm -hmm. everything he could, I believe, at least in the gospels, Mm -hmm. to completely undermine this hierarchical Mm -hmm. structure that the entire world is built upon. And he basically said, yeah. look, even I am your brother. 
And mm-hmm. if I, being your Lord and being your master, am going to stoop mm-hmm. down to the lowest level and right. not come in as a king on a horse, but a baby in a manger... Right. Mm-hmm. In order to earn your trust, in order to earn mm-hmm. your respect, in order to earn an audience with you, mm-hmm. if I'm going to do that, how much more should you do that? And I think right. that I think the um, tendency in the body of Christ is mm-hmm. that we view the world, we see how the world does it, and we incorporate mm-hmm. that exact same stru- structure sometimes completely, sometimes mildly. And that's why we have a tendency mm-hmm. to juxtapose people that so many people that are involved in that system of hierarchy on a much lesser scale, but are still involved will point to those right. who are entrenched in a, in all of these levels of hierarchy and control. And will say, well, look, mm-hmm. we're not like them, but that's not the point. Mm-hmm. You're still playing the right. game. You're still part of yes. the quote unquote system. You're still, even though you're tagging the name of Jesus above your door, even though you're praying to the father in Jesus name or whatever kind of things you want to say, whatever you're doing, it doesn't matter right. because the heart of it is antithetical to the very kingdom that Jesus set up. And mm-hmm. Jesus says mm-hmm. in this kingdom, you don't go around trying to earn titles. Right. You go around loving people, and when you love people, people will follow mm-hmm. you. That's a byproduct. Mm-hmm. You don't have to tell them to get in line and follow you. You don't have to pull right. You don't have to pull rank on them. You don't have to, you know, mm-hmm. shame them into submission or whatever whatever tactics are used um both right. in the pulpit and the academy and all of these different mm-hmm. areas of Christianity. I think the only valid form of influence is earned and it's earned by love. It's earned by trust. It's earned by, uh, let me give an example here. I think this is something that really um, hit me in the, in the group, in the Facebook group one day on a post, Mm -hmm. someone was asking about recommended reading and, um, a couple of people said, well, I don't, I don't have a book to recommend, but I've got a documentary for you. And they mentioned mm-hmm. a, a documentary on Netflix called Kumare. Don Griffin was one of them. And then there was someone else I can't recall uh-huh. at the moment. But anyway, they mentioned this documentary called Kumare and said it is so good. So I looked it up and decided one night that my wife and I would watch it on Netflix. Let mm-hmm. me tell you, it was fantastic. It's about this guy <laughs> who's a psychology, um, he's a graduate student. In psychology, uh-huh. and he decides to start his own religion as a psychological hmm. experiment and see if he oh, can wow. get people to follow him. Mm-hmm. And, and what I assumed would happen is that this guy would come in with guns blazing, so to speak, and kind of usurp control by a forceful personality right. and by titles and all this kind of thing. Well, he did have to flash mm-hmm. his card of being a, a guru. Basically, the uh-huh. to give a little backstory, the guy grew up Hindu, and so he was very familiar with the Hindu culture. And of course, mm-hmm. the last probably forty to fifty years, Hinduism has made major inroads into the United States through yoga classes right. and all of these things. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's all all sorts of places where they'll have a guru come and teach a certain form of yoga or meditation or whatever. Well, mm-hmm. he kind of came in under that guise, and um, said that he had a new form of yoga called Kumare. 
and that he was the he was a Kumari in a long line of Kumaris. He basically made up this whole backstory. Anyway, <laughs> I gotta watch this. It's absolutely fantastic. He had all of these people follow him, <laughs> but here's what was so fascinating about it, Steve, was mm-hmm. he did the very thing we're talking about. The he 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 got all of these followers, mm-hmm. people like attorneys. I mean, not mm-hmm. not flaky people, people that were professional people. He got all of these mm-hmm. people to follow him. And really the way he did it at the end of the day is all, it was all by listening to people and uh-huh. by acting as a sounding board and not giving mm-hmm. any direction that people didn't want. Interesting. It was so fascinating. And I sat there and went, oh, my gosh. This guy's actually modeling what a follower of uh-huh. Jesus looks like as this uh-huh. as this fake guru <laughs> than yeah. most Christian ministers are, I think. Uh-huh. Because he validated people's he he validated people's journey, recognized yeah. the divine in the center of it, and uh-huh. simply allowed people to use him as a sounding board to kind of uh hear the spirit for themselves. It was yeah, truly fascinating. Yeah. Interesting. You have to watch that. How do you spell that? I'm sorry. It's K U M A R E. Oh, okay. But pretty much the way it sounded. But it was. I mean, it's a fascinating documentary. But the the point that I'm trying to make is that mm-hmm. for me, that's exactly what a fo- what what the kingdom of God is supposed to be built on. It's not built on top right. down leadership. It's right. built on influence, and when you begin to mm-hmm. love people, you earn that influence, and that, yes. and that same influence is lost the minute you quit loving people. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know, we have often referred to First Corinthians thirteen in this regard, and I I think you know a lot of times the familiarity of that passage has caused us to forget the. Uh, the strength of what the writer of that passage meant. You know, when you look at those first few verses of 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about achieving great and very admirable things, but doing them without love. And he basically, and I'm sure there's some hyperbole to this, but he's basically saying, if you do these things, even as wonderful as they are, even as much as they might help people in some level, if you do them without love, they're pretty much meaningless. Mm. Mm. And I think a lot of times, you know, like I said, the familiarity of that passage causes us to just sort of read it and we hear it, especially in the King James, is just kind of flowery language, you know. I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I'm becoming as a clanging symbol sounding brass, you know, it's like, it it doesn't really mean a whole lot to us anymore. But if we really stop and think about the significance of that, that not only is it just noise, but it's almost like the most irritating noise. No offense to any percussion players out there, but (laughs) it's just, you know, I like, I I remember uh, a couple years ago, I was music directing a production of Cabaret at Barter Theater, and we were staged in such a way that the band was on stage and the actors kind of moved around us in various uh, stagings. And uh, there was this one point, several points in the production where the drummer has to hit the cymbal really loudly. 
and the director had mistakenly blocked an actor to be right next to that symbol. And uh, it only happened one time in the rehearsal before the actor <laughs> requested to be moved elsewhere on stage because he could barely hear when it was over. Um, you know, it it's it's a it's just a an obnoxious thing that we would rather do without, you know. Um, and and I think it the the weight of that is something that we have to consider. This is this is how important love is. Yeah. That you can be the most studied or most intelligent person. You can do all kinds of philanthropic things. Mm -hmm. Charitable Uh, work, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can do all that stuff. And if you don't have love, if you're doing it for any other reason, it just, it really doesn't matter. And I think you could juxtapose that with the passage where Jesus says, you know, the things that you did to me, you did to the, or the things you did to the least of these you did to me. And he's, he, in that context, he's telling a story of people who are saying, we did all of these wonderful things for you, but it doesn't count, you know, you know, because he's saying you did, you didn't really do it for me. You did it for yourself. You know, the the irony is, is part of what we're talking about is not being controlled by scripture itself. Mm-hmm. And yet you and I are constantly <laughs> yeah, quoting, quoting scripture, scripture to prove that we shouldn't be controlled by it. It's yeah. the irony yeah. is just, uh, you know, <laughs> one of the passages I was thinking about when you were just talking was, uh, I think it's in first John four, where it says that no man has ever seen God, but if we mm-hmm. love God is made manifest in our midst. Mm-hmm. And, to me, it basically, what that basically says is any place that love is present, God is present. Right. Quote, unquote, truth right. or facts or data or all of these other things, prophetic utterances mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. we want to say. And I mean, Paul lists all those things in First Corinthians 13. Like right. you said, he says, given your body to be burned or speaking with tongues or given prophetic right. utterances or having all the knowledge that there is to know in every book in the world. Um, mm-hmm. Basically that if we have all those things that we don't have love, it means nothing. But if we have love, God, the, the invisible God who you can't mm-hmm. objectify, who right. can't be contained in any person's box, no matter how much they know or how spiritual they mm-hmm. are or whatever that same God is made manifest any place that love is displayed, which tells mm-hmm. me you look all around you and you see all sorts of people that I wouldn't call Christians. I wouldn't mm-hmm. in many cases even call followers of Jesus. Right. But I would say they love people. And according to John, mm-hmm. God is mm-hmm. on display in that moment, in that action whether or not that person names the name of Jesus or right. whatever, whatever qualifications we think would they would need to have in order to reveal God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I think, you know, I, I think, too, of uh, how Galatians describes the fruit of the Spirit, which, of course, the first one listed is love. Uh, but the other one that I'm thinking about as we talk about this topic of control that the fruit of the spirit is self-control, mm. not other control. Say law. So, 
Yeah. So it it's we have to let go of this desire to control other people at any level. Mm. And we have to be willing to live out what we are teaching with our words. Mm. Mm. And in fact, I think more often than not, we probably should just shut up and live. Yeah. Which is ironic coming from two guys who are recording a podcast filled with lots of words, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and and I, you know, it's it's so hard to say that, Ray, because I know in some ways there are all kinds of different directions you could go with that, and then we could say, well, does that mean that we just uh, we don't ever correct anybody? We don't, you know, it's like that. That's not really the point, but. I think it really comes from the, it comes down to the notion of what is, what's the fruit of what we're doing? What, what, what what are we becoming known for? What are we exhibiting as patterns and as ongoing traits? Well, and, and maybe so that, I'm sorry, Steve, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. um, That's right. Go ahead. Maybe the question is, you know, maybe the problem is, is that we automatically think sometimes can think that love excludes certain actions. What if love Mm -hmm. does not exclude any action, but it defines those actions so that Mm. it's not that we don't, it's not that we don't rebuke someone. It's not that we don't correct Mm -hmm. someone. It's not that we don't, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, confront someone, but, Mm-hmm. Love determines how we do it, so that love is not so much yes. about what we do as how we do it. For instance, yeah. you know, we look at the conflict between the Palestinians and the Israelis, you know, uh-huh. right now, and everybody's going, "What in the world?" You know, what? How, how do you solve this thing? Right. It's not. It's not saying well, love wouldn't confront in that situation because there's a lot that needs to be confronted, but it would say, right. "How was that done?" It's done mm-hmm. with patience, with peace, mm-hmm. with long suffering, mm-hmm. with all those other. I mean, mm-hmm. there. You know, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've heard before that that Galatians five passage that talks about the fruit of the spirit. That some people have actually said that that the only fruit that 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 passage is actually mentioning is love, and that everything mm. that comes after that is simply an appendage of love. So that well, that makes sense in light of First Corinthians thirteen, where right. it talks about love, uh, bearing all things and hoping all things, and yeah. So that the fruit of the spirit is love, and that is mm. joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. So mm-hmm. it's so that it would come down to love does not ne- necessarily define the actions we take as much as how we take those actions. It's like with my children. I'm obviously going to correct my children. I have a four-year-old and a Mm -hmm. five-year-old boy. And if I never Mm -hmm. corrected them, my wife and I would probably already have killed each other. You know, (laughs) I mean, they they have to be corrected. But the question is, how do Mm -hmm. I do it? Do I do it? Right. Do I do it sternly? Do I do it with, do it, Mm -hmm. you know, do I, do I physically harm the child? Do I, you know, do mm-hmm. I do those things or mm-hmm. do I do it recognizing, okay, this is a four and a five year old, first of all. So they're right. They, they have the wiggle bugs, whether I like it or not. Um, right. And B, I love these kids. So that's going to define my mm-hmm. action. So yes, I'm going to stop your bad behavior, 
but no, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to put you in a chokehold until you pass out. You know, no, right. I'm not right. going to, you know, grab <laughs> something and throw it at you. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to do it yeah. in a way that continues to affirm your value and your worth that continues right. to, to demonstrate to you that I care about you and that even mm-hmm. shows you your own self-interest in the moment. But mm-hmm. I am still going to address the behavior. And I think one of the things that right. you and I are incorrectly heard to say over and over again is mm-hmm. is that we believe that love is a call to passivity. People, right, people hear, <laughs> hear our um, discussions about pacifism and automatically thinks that that basically equates to passivity. But you and I are both saying, right. no, love is very, very active. You know, Martin yes. Luther King Jr. is a great example of someone who actively loved his enemy. He didn't sit at home mm-hmm. and wait for racism to go away or wait for the Vietnam War to end or any of that kind of thing. He actively went out and did something about it, but he let love Mm -hmm. define his actions so that he Mm -hmm. wouldn't pick up the club. He wouldn't, you know, start a riot. He wouldn't do those things, but instead he affirmed the value and the dignity of even his enemy in the face Mm -hmm. of, of possible death and eventual death. Um, Mm -hmm. And -hmm. I think that's what we're called to do. We're not called to, we're not called to not address situations. We're not called to not confront, but we're called to always do it in love. And, in the same way, it's not that we're never called to correct anyone when, you know, when I see someone's image of God, like the lady in this video, and I see the terrible mm-hmm. hurt that she's inflicting mm-hmm. on literally thousands of people in a room that are just screaming right. and shouting for her. When I mm-hmm. see that, I go, my gosh, that needs to be stopped. Someone mm-hmm. needs to put a stop to that. But Mm-hmm. Not in the way of shaming this lady into submission, not in the way right. of disaffirming her own value, but in a way exactly. of of saying, you know what, this is not what God has for anyone. This is yep. his sheep hear his voice and it doesn't sound like you're sounding right now. Right. Well, you, you have just, you've made two very good points, Ray, that really get at the heart of what I was saying about how we view the other and I want to go back to to what you said about your kids, because this is a this is a key point, and it, it's it's not as much of a rabbit trail as it sounds like, uh, but this is a subject that Christy and I are very passionate about too. If you stop to think about it, so much of what is taught with regard to parenting in our culture, and I mean in the Christian religious culture especially, is not based on valuing the child as a person Mm. and as a child of God and as the image of God. It's about control. Mm. It's about our own convenience. Um, And I've run into this in so many different ways. And I was brought up this way. I was taught this way. I had to rethink a lot of this in my own mind. You know, several people have asked us in the past uh, how our different our, our journeys in theology have affected our parenting. And we've talked about it in passing on some podcasts, and it's kind of going to be in passing on this one too. Uh, maybe someday we'll do a whole episode about it. But um, I, I want to make this point that the the biggest thing that has changed for me in my parenting is seeing my kids as having value mm. as whole persons, mm. not as miniature troublemakers that need to be controlled or people that just get in my way, mm. 
but as persons, as people. And, you know, what you're talking about and, and getting at is, is exactly true, whether we're addressing a room full of adults or if we're addressing our own child, our own young child. We have to start with love, which really means looking at that person as a person of value. Mm. And, you know, I think any conflict where someone is being an aggressor revolves around treating the other with less value. Mm. If you belittle someone, if you demean someone, if you shame someone, you're telling them you do not have as much value as I do, Mm. or you don't have as much value as I think you should have. And therefore I'm going to highlight this deficiency in you. Um, I don't know if I've given this example on the podcast before or not, but uh, where we're staying here uh, um, is, I don't think we're actually in Sullivan County, Tennessee, but we're right next to Sullivan County. And as I drive to work, I go through Sullivan County. And Sullivan County has a uh, roadside cleanup operation that is staffed by people who have been arrested for driving drunk. And they stand uh, they, you know, are cleaning up alongside the road, picking up trash and everything, wearing these bright bibs that say, I am a drunk driver. Wow. And every time I drive past them, wow. Ray, I want to stop the car and get out and just give them a hug. Yeah. Because I think that is so wow. wrong. Wow. It is, it is demeaning. It's devaluing. It is shaming. And it's putting an identity on someone that is not their identity. That's not who they are. Mm. Mm. And, you know, so when we, if we do that type of thing to our kids, and every once in a while you'll see these stories pop up about a parent who shames their child in that way, makes them wear a sign or, you know, whatever. And, you know, when we do that, we are thinking more of ourselves than we are of that other person. We're putting ourselves above them and saying, I'm going to control, not just control you, but I'm going to control your identity. Mm. I'm going to, I'm going to tell other people what to think of you. And I think that that at its base is just so wrong. Mm. And so, you know, this, this concept of love that we're talking about is not just, you know, so often I think when we push back on things that, that don't seem loving, the the retort often is, well, you just want everything to be mushy gushy and all that. That's not that's not what you and I are advocating, and that's not what love is. But love is really thinking of the other with value, and choosing to see the value in the other above what even our own desires would be. Well, and, even if it's inconvenient to us. And you and I multiple times have. Um if you want to call it this, however you'd say it, we've offered correction and private messages to multiple mm-hmm. people within our Facebook mm-hmm. community, for instance. Um, yes. yes. But when we've done it, we've never, A, we've never done it in public. We've always done it with just one-on-one between us and the person. And B, mm-hmm. we've never done it um, with the We've never done it in a way that would make the person feel ashamed or 
that they had right. um that they were less welcome than they were before they received that message mm-hmm. and uh, please if if we have <laughs> please by all means tell us i mean of course i'm i'm going on my own perception here i can't speak for how people receive yeah. it but the spirit that we've always offered correction in in the past has always been mm-hmm. a matter of you know and it's always taken it. I'm always taking it from this angle, you know, mm-hmm. here's how I'm seeing things and I could be wrong. Right. But this is my perception right. and this is how I think others might perceive it as well. So if you would just consider mm-hmm. that, then right. that would be great. Never a matter of, look, I'm, you know, I'm Rayburn Johnson. <laughs> Right, right. Not that that would mean exactly. anything anyway, but you know, but not yeah. not a matter of pulling rank within the group and saying, "Look, I'm the moderator right. of this group, and therefore you're going to put up or shut up." And you know what I mean? Like yeah. we 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 don't do that. We don't. You know, I mean, there's there's situations well, where there's situations where we have acted what how we feel to be in the best interest of the group. Um, Mm -hmm. but as far as, you know, doing anything that would shame someone or that would, you know, humiliate them, we've, we've never tried to do that. Well, exactly. I I think you're right about that. And and I will say, I'm willing to admit that number one, I haven't always done that perfectly. And I also am fully aware that it hasn't always been perceived the way we're talking about it, but that that really is the intent and the heart. And I think... I think that it would be very truthful to say as well that when it hasn't been received that way, it's not because we have shamed or humiliated. It's because for whatever reason, that situation has just escalated. You know, um, the perception of the other person is that we were somehow attacking them. Uh, And I'm not speaking of just any one particular person. There have been been several several incidents where where I know things have, have, uh, you know, escalated beyond that. But in all of those cases, things have also begun as, uh, what you just said of, you know, us trying to say, Hey, this is what I'm perceiving. Uh, and this is the situation that we're seeing. Could we, could we come to a different, uh, approach to this? You know, yeah. is there some way that we can approach this differently? Because, you know, as you and I talked about in our 2.0 podcast, what we, have created on Facebook is a virtual living room. It's, it's our space that we have invited people into. And so, you know, that, that in itself, I think creates a metaphor that is possibly misunderstood at some levels, but needs to be more common, I think, in uh, community settings where people understand that, Hey, this, this is a space, I'm not just talking about our living room, I, I think that more people need to have communities where respect for others is paramount, mm-hmm. that that is, you know, that the goal is to show love and not to just be right or not to win an argument or not even to have arguments necessarily, um, that it has to be a place where people can feel loved, where we think of the other. I, I'm becoming more and more hooked on this uh this reality that we we have to look at other people differently than we do uh i'll give you an example our good friends over at the nomad podcast um uh, 
posted something on their page today or yesterday about an upcoming interview that they have with someone talking about online uh, community and social media and things of that nature and what are the pros and cons. And uh, I think it was Tim Nash that I was communicating with through that page. I'm pretty sure he signed one of the comments, Tim. Um, But I, I was suggesting that part of the problem, I think, with social media and social interactions online is that we perceive the other differently than we do in face-to-face. Hmm. And that part of it, part of the answer to the problems that we experience online is reconditioning ourselves to define those relationships as actual human relationships hmm. Hmm. and not to fall in the trap of viewing them impersonally just because they happen to be represented as text on a screen. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I know there are some differing views on this, and I, I'm not trying to discredit anybody else's opinion on it. But from my perspective, I don't think that we should make a clear distinction between, quote-unquote, in-real-life relationships versus online relationships. Yeah, I agree. That we need to treat our social media and our online relationships with the same care that we would treat an in-person relationship. Now, some people treat in-person relationships pretty crappy, but I think more often than not, what you'll hear is someone being very insensitive and very much uh, a jerk online, so to speak, and then find out that in person they're much nicer. And sometimes that's even used as an excuse that, well, but if you just knew them in person, if you knew them in real life, but this is real life. Yeah. This is not a. This is not uh, SimCity. This is not um, a virtual reality. It is life for us. The people that we interact with in our online living room are real people. They have value. They have opinions. They have feelings. They have the spirit of God in them. And if we can can stop trying to control other people and begin to view other people as our relationship partners and not just a name or a face or whatever, you know, if we view them as having value and we treat them with love, then I don't think we're going to have the conflicts in those relationships that, that otherwise might arise. Well, I I think you're right. A person is a person is a person, you know, and, and the, so many of the statistics that you see, especially with, for instance, teenagers, how something will happen through bullying on Facebook and then a teenager mm-hmm. ends up committing suicide as mm-hmm. a result, mm-hmm. just proves to you that those yeah. interactions are real and they're personal they're real. and they're not to be yeah. taken lightly. And yeah, I think regardless of where, what the medium is, whether it's social media, face-to-face videos, you know, Whatever it is, uh, this podcast, mm-hmm. um, if it's not if it's not done in love, in the same tone that you would have with a, a friend that you treasured, mm-hmm. then it's probably not worth having. Yeah, um, because you know when I when I look at the ministry of Jesus, and I think about the ministry and life of Jesus, it's like. You know, I don't see him 
putting value on certain conversations more mm-hmm. than on others. Like, for instance, when he's in conversations, uh, when, when the Sermon on the Mount or some of those things where he's talking to bigger crowds, I don't see mm-hmm. Jesus placing a heavier weight on those moments than he does with individuals that he meets right. along the way. You know? Right. And I think that right. says a lot because we as humans, all of us have this tendency to, you know, I, I'll be at work during the day. And for instance, the, the vice president of the department that I work in, he lives in New York. Um, and so he commutes to Tennessee about once a month or so. He has an office there and you'll see him, you know, in the office and you'll pass him on the way to the bathroom or something. And it's like, oh, hi, you know, <laughs> you you want to yeah. make sure you say hello. And um, right. but then, you know, there there's these little ladies that are hired by a third party company that cleans our restrooms and takes care of mm-hmm. our trash and does all of that kind of thing. And you'll see them all around the building. And it's interesting because I'm very intentional about talking to those ladies, actually more, uh-huh. more so than I am the big people. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I guess it's just, you know, hopefully that's Jesus in me <laughs> causing me to I do that. But yeah, But what's so fascinating is to walk down the hall and see the number Mm -hmm. of people that will walk by those ladies without a second Mm -hmm. glance who when, Mm -hmm. you know, a VP comes down the hallway or someone that they would deem to be important will stop. You know, they might they might need to pee worse than, you know, (laughs) anything. And they're on their way to the bathroom. But that VP comes by. And they're going to stop and uh-huh. chat as long as it, as as long as that VP will chat with them, they're going to stop and <laughs> yeah. chat and give them the time of day, right? And mm-hmm. and I just mm-hmm. don't see Jesus in that same light. I see Jesus giving the same yeah. amount of time, the same amount of love to every single person he came in contact yep. with, and that love looked different. There were times that that love was confrontational, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. like you said, with the written documents, we have a we have a tendency to completely not realize how removed we are from them. And so, so many times right. we'll, we'll even read 21st century tones of voice and all of these kinds of things into the text yeah. so that we can end up making a confrontation that Jesus had with the Pharisees or the Sadducees or, you know, right. with Pilate or someone we can, we can read those and throw in our mm-hmm. own tone of voice and make Jesus sound awful pissed off. Yeah. Where yeah. if we were to actually think, okay, now wait a minute, how would love approach the situation? You can read those yeah. stories in a completely different way simply by changing your tone of voice. When I think about yes. Jesus, you know, when you, when you look at when you look at him and he's uh, it says that he weeps over Jerusalem and says, you know, Jerusalem, mm-hmm. Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and you know this kind of thing. Well, right before right. that, I believe was when he was delivering mm-hmm. the woes, you yes. know, woe to yes. you, Beth, mm-hmm. you know, Bethsaida, woe to you, you know, all these different places. It'll be worse for you on the day, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. We don't read those two. It's like we, we have this schizophrenic right. Jesus where in the first part right. of that passage, he's like, woe to you. And like, you know, mm. fire's <laughs> coming out and he's like, I can't wait to burn you to a crisp. And then, yeah. oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. <laughs> oh, you know, and I'm like, wait a minute, 
this is the same Jesus delivering the same thing in the same context. And so I imagine when I think about Jesus delivering those woes, I imagine him weeping and just being Uh, Yeah, I imagine tears coming down his This is not what I had planned for you. This is not Right. This is not God's will for you. Turn because you're gonna destroy yourself. Please get Mm -hmm. you know and, and when I say that I think to myself in modern day contexts, how often, even with the video that we're talking about, it's so fascinating Mm -hmm. to look at comments that can come in on different threads on different people's pages from a video like that. Because while we can really rake that person over the coals for, for Mm -hmm. saying these horrible things to a room full of Mm -hmm. people, so many times we'll say things that are just as or more horrible about that person. Right. And the irony is just like, wait a minute, how dare we in the name of speaking love and peace and blessing over people Mm -hmm. and saying that that's what's important and you're missing it. How dare us in telling someone they're missing it, us make devalue them and make the exact same mistake. Exactly. And it it is very easy to fall into that trap. And I've become very sensitive to that lately, uh, especially in online interactions where, you know, so often you exactly what you're saying when 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 people start to criticize someone for having a particular viewpoint or for doing something or whatever then it's just like the criticism itself becomes so violent. So vitriolic. Um, it's like, ugh. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm trying to think how to give this one example because I don't, I don't want to say too much in detail, but there was a, a group that I'm on on Facebook where someone uh, was posting something. Uh, it was basically a disagreement between spouses about something regarding their kids. And the the wife was posting it and she was saying, you know, this is what my husband said and it really frustrates me and, you know, this is like, I, I'm just kind of venting this. And some of the comments were were saying things like, you know, well, wow, I can't believe he's being that stupid. I can't believe, you know, and like suddenly it just became not about even trying to resolve the problem as it was just ganging up on him, yeah. you know, and, and I, you see that kind of thing so often, uh, not just on Facebook, but on any kind of, you know, when news stories allow comments on, them, you know, some of the, the things, there was an example, uh, that I wanted to share too, because I, I want to drive home the point that w- what you're talking about with regard to Jesus saying these things is that we have to remember and, and you know, you and I have experienced this, Ray, in some contexts too, no pun intended. We have to remember that context is so important that even when something is recorded that a person actually said, there may be context that wasn't recorded that really changes the tone and the meaning of what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the example that comes to my mind is, uh, I think it's been a couple months now since this happened, there was a video that went viral on the internet about a woman in the Houston area, I think, who allegedly had left her kids in the car while she went into a hair salon. And everybody was passing this video, and it was actual security camera footage of this woman walking into a hair salon and the kids in the car, 
and I don't know if I have all the details right, but basically, like, it looked very clear from this video that she had just left her kids in the car. And so people just passing all kinds of judgment on her and all kinds of hateful things being said all over the Internet. And then further footage was released by somebody else that showed that what had happened was she had accidentally, her car had accidentally gotten locked after she had put the kids in. And she had to go into the store to get help to get her car unlocked because her kids were locked in there. She put them in their car seat and somehow when the door shut, it locked and her keys were in the car and the kids were too young and also strapped in the car seat to be able to to help the situation. So she had to go get help. And she was distraught over it. And I think she ended up having to smash a window or somebody had to smash a window, you know, to solve this problem. The the greater context told a completely different story. Mm. And so I think even when we're talking about Jesus and the things he's recorded as saying, we have to remember that they, they were not just scenes in a play. They weren't just uh, staged readings that he did or, you know, he just suddenly got up one day and said, let's go say woe to everybody, you know? <laughs> I mean, there, there were events that led up to them. And for whatever reason, the author of those gospels chose, okay, I'm going to record these words, but doesn't tell us the background. And we know, let's be honest, we know that the gospel writers chose selectively because you see differences between the different accounts. Right. We know that they sometimes rearranged the order of events to tell a particular story. They weren't trying to make accurate historical records by our 20th and 21st century standards. And that's a part of that distance that you're talking about, that we read these things as historic accounts and forget that they were written for at least a mixed purpose, if not a completely different purpose. And so when we have these accounts of Jesus saying these things, In my mind, it's not that we have to reinterpret them or we have to come up with the right interpretation. It's just that we have to give room for the fact that there might have been something else said or done that would have shed light on that those statements differently than what we see in their stark presentation on the page. Well, and you know, for I mean, tone of voice and and body language, et cetera, is not to be discounted either. But even just the events themselves leading up to them. You know, and, and to even get back to the point at hand about control, the point, mm-hmm. I think the point is sometimes that we are, we, we're straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. We yeah. are yeah. so focused on proper interpretation of the text, on right. ensuring that we get it, quote unquote, right, mm-hmm. that many times we will run roughshod over someone in the context right. of getting the words of Jesus right. And the irony right. there is just, mm-hmm. to me, it's almost unbearable to think yeah. that I could run roughshod over you to prove to you that I know better than you do what Jesus said. Like, right. like does it even matter anymore? By the time we get done with right, that conversation, exactly. does it even matter exactly. whether I'm right or whether you're right? Because no matter how right I might be, I'm totally wrong if I'm doing it in the wrong spirit. 
Yep. That's the point of it. Again, First Corinthians 13, it doesn't matter how great an achievement it is. If it's done without love, it's worthless. And to get back to the whole idea of control, I think another thing, you know, we, I, I've listed several things that I feel like people use to exert control over others. And, and you and I have talked about mm-hmm. the Bible and the fact that how the Bible is used to control by right by people that you know either claim to know it better than others or by mm-hmm. people who claim to be more spiritual and therefore can interpret it more than others or you know whether right. it's education or, or, or title hyper spirituality mm-hmm. or whatever a title any of those things that the Bible is used to control people and the irony of that I mean it's just mm-hmm. it's like I say it's yeah. unbearable and the yeah, and that the ministry does it, that the Bible does it. Here's some ironies. Of course, mm-hmm. we've seen people, you know, educated people that seek to control via the fact that they're more educated than you are, and therefore you should, right. you know, you should bow before them. But here's the irony: um, I've seen, and of course, this is probably going to be unique to my specific context in growing up, but. In growing up in the mountains of North Carolina in the rural South, uh-huh. I've actually seen non-education used as yes. a means of control. I, I remember control, going yeah. to little old country churches where uh-huh. it was trumpeted from the pulpit that the the reason you should trust that pastor was because he hadn't been to seminary or he hadn't been to Bible <laughs> yes. college. And that gave him more right. credentials because he hadn't been brainwashed or he hadn't been influenced uh-huh. or, or you know, manipulated by these evil people that, you know, that go to cemeteries. Yep. I mean, seminaries, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that whole yep. line of reasoning. So I people use one. the Bible, they use ministry, they use education, they use non-education. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. one, that I, one that I'd like to talk a little bit about with you. Is expectations and, Mm. and the group, the group Mm -hmm. think the fact that we use expectations to control people. And I've seen it in my own Mm -hmm. life, just with my own, the, the lifestyle that I live, you know, the Mm -hmm. recently I've learned that in 1950, the average size of a house was a thousand square feet. Wow. Today, the average size of a house is 2,300 square feet. And what's fascinating about that statistic is that the size of families has actually decreased instead of increased. Yeah. So we actually have less families living in two and a half times the house than we did 50 Uh years ago. Now, why, why do so many of us, including myself, I'm indicting myself here, have those houses it's because we've been told mm-hmm. by society that that's how much yep. room three people four people five people need right or you know i, I think about christmas presents that's another one you know it wasn't uh-huh. that many decades ago that you might get a sock full of fruit and a little bit of candy for christmas and that right. was that was like you were overjoyed and yeah. now people go in complete credit card debt to buy their kids uh-huh. a bunch of junk that they're unappreciative for by January right. 5th at Christmas. Um, yeah. There's so many things that we, that we do that we, that are mm-hmm. used to control us that we don't even recognize. Mm-hmm. We're, we're controlled by cultural norms, 
by mm-hmm. especially communal norms such as, you know, especially in the context of an institutional church, what that church believes, right. the functions of that church. Mm-hmm. I was talking to mm-hmm. a coworker, and it's so fascinating. She's so fascinating because she's my age, but she uh, she grew up Mormon, kind of nominal Mormon, has mm-hmm. been out of the Mormon church for decades, and has just recently started attending a, a evangelical church. And mm. um, it is so fascinating to see things through her eyes and to hear her tell. It's almost like <laughs> it's almost like having a kid come to you and tell you about what church is, because here I right. have I've been behind the pulpit. I've been part of uh-huh. part of the one behind the curtain, pulling the strings and making the thing happen. Right. <laughs> and to see someone that's on the other curtain sitting on the back row that doesn't have the context that I had. And to hear yeah. it through their ears and to see it through their eyes has really been, it's, mm-hmm. it's really been a fascinating experience for me. And to I'm watch, sure. to watch the things that she says and to realize the group mm-hmm. think that happens in a context mm-hmm. like that, where people are controlled mm-hmm. through the expectations of their small group. That not only their belief right. systems, but their very lifestyles, their friendships, the people they hang out with, yep. the music they buy, the shirts they buy, mm-hmm. the movies they watch, that the everything is influenced by this group um, mm-hmm. and by the expectations within the group. Yeah. And it makes me realize my, my wife is we're we're beginning to homeschool our kindergartner. And uh-huh. my wife has been like, you know, I don't want, there's so many Christian homeschool groups and I don't want to get involved in a yeah. single one of them because yeah. they, they're all, you know, going to try and recruit me. <laughs> She's been, yep. been there, done that. And so we've, yep. we've joined a homeschool co-op that um, uh-huh. is just, it's more like a, it's one of the few that we could find in the whole Nashville area that wasn't affiliated mm-hmm. with a church. And yeah, it's yeah. such an eclectic, We've had similar experiences, such an eclectic group of people that I would never mm-hmm. hook up with probably in real life. And yet <laughs> the interesting thing is, is when you go into such an eclectic group, expectations begin to get lower because everybody immediately recognizes their difference and therefore they're yes. not an issue. Yes, yes, that that's a great way to put it, Ray. And we we've had similar experiences with our homeschooling uh, efforts too. That when we were when we were stationary and you know living in an apartment or a house, uh, we had trouble finding groups that we could participate in too because they were all very much religious based. Some of them required a statement of faith to be signed, which I'm just pretty much opposed to uh, signing, but. Uh, yeah, I think you make a really good point that that when and and this I think it the expectations is a great uh thing to consider that when you have certain expectations about what a group is or what a group isn't then you try to mold them into that or mold them away from that. Um but when when your expectations are lower it actually provides opportunity for more diverse community, mm-hmm. and you know, I, 
I think everybody's perception is going to be different, and I, I think that in itself is something that we have to extend a lot of grace on that people aren't going to understand. Uh, not everybody's going to understand everybody else's perspective. But um, I think you raise a really good point. That, and I, I think a lot of times that uh, relational conflict comes from um, unshared expectations. Mm. You know, that if if you expect something differently than I do, then especially if I haven't articulated my expectations to you and you haven't articulated yours to me so that we even know that there's a difference in expectations, then when either of us have our expectations unmet, there's going to be conflict. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it really does have to do with us just letting go of expectations Mm -hmm. and, and getting to know someone um, for who they are, not for who we want them to be or who we think that they are. Well, and, you know, whether whether it's a homeschooling group or a church or a job, you know, office situation or whatever. Um, yeah, I think that's a key point. I, I think that, um, you know, there's a there's such a tendency towards hegemony. And yeah. we put ourselves in context where that's that's how the group is defined is that everyone thinks alike, looks alike. You know, everyone's mm-hmm. schedules mm-hmm. is similar, et cetera, et cetera. And what it does is it causes us to, it, it causes us to hunker down in our little group and not ever explore mm-hmm. uh, the thoughts and ideas of others so that right. you end up with things like the Palestinian and Israeli conflict. Yeah. I mean, that's that's on the macro scale. You can see perfect examples right. of it playing out where we don't hear the other, we don't expose ourselves to uh-huh. the other and therefore yep. we can't hear them because we've never even gotten in proximity where we could, you know, they could be shouting, but we're still not close enough to them to hear their voice. And yeah, I think that's yeah. one of the things that I've, that's really been so eye opening for me in the last eight years or so since I left the institutional church was when I stepped mm-hmm. outside of the doors of that and began to live life outside of that context, how quickly mm-hmm. so many things that were normal for me became so abnormal because yeah. they weren't shared by another group of people. And as I've, be- mm-hmm. as I've, you know, I have interactions now with people on a daily basis. I mean, that, people that are straight, people that are gay, people that are Christian, people right. that are Muslim, people that are atheists, people that, I mean, that now it's like, I went and saw the movie, or I didn't went and saw, I, I went and rented the movie, God's Not Dead, when it came out recently, just because I was so, uh-huh. you know, I, I'm the guy that still listens to Christian radio a lot, and I don't know why, it's just <laughs> old habits die hard. <laughs> So I listen to Christian talk radio a lot and <laughs> sit there and think, oh my gosh, I want to scream. And yet I do it anyway. But yeah, but yeah. I, I watched, I watched the movie God, God's not dead. And for those of you who don't know, it's basically the story of this young college freshman who goes off to college. It's a Christian movie where this young uh-huh. college freshman, or I should, let me clarify that. It's an evangelical movie. I don't want to indict all yeah, of okay. Christendom with that. <laughs> right. But, yeah. um, Anyway, this young college freshman goes off to college and is challenged by an atheist professor to defend his Christian faith. 
And that's mm. kind of the the big the big picture overview. But anyway, in the context uh-huh. of this movie, the atheists that are in the movie are all absolute jerks. They're all uh-huh. they're all um evangelical in the sense that they want everybody to be just like them. That right. they have a token Muslim family in the movie <laughs> that actually beats their daughter and kicks her out of their home. Um, In in other words, every time they present a group that's other than them, they make these horrible caricatures that are totally inhospitable to that other group. And if I think of anything of the message of Jesus, I think of hospitality in the sense of welcoming the stranger and, and being willing to love your enemy, which means listening to Mm -hmm. them. And when I watched mm-hmm. that movie, I went, oh my gosh, this is what happens when you yeah. when you get a little enclave of Christians together who never expose themselves to anyone from the outside world other than to proselytize them. Right. This is what happens is you end up with these horrible caricatures of everybody who's not like us so that yeah. every conflict is irreconcilable because we can't uh-huh. even humanize the other party. Yep, yep. Well, I was thinking when you were talking about expectations, I don't know if this is redundant, but the word uh, presupposition comes to mind too. And and I guess this, this may be just another way of saying expectations, but like, for example, let's take the Middle East conflict. The presupposition on the part of the Israeli side is that they are entitled to that land. That that drives the conflict because they they are basing their claim on supposedly a superior claim to the land and that it was, you know, allegedly directly promised to them by God. So you can't really get much bigger than that in terms of, you know, a basis for, for defending. So the the presupposition is the only way that there could be peace is if the Palestinians move out of the land. Mm-hmm. And that that shuts out so much potential dialogue mm-hmm. because there's no common starting ground then. You know, it's like, well, yeah, we want to negotiate peace, but on our terms, you know. Mm-hmm. And and it goes both ways. I mean, in, in a lot of conflicts, both sides are doing that. They're bringing presuppositions to the table. So, um, like, let's look at the way our uh, – in our country – evangelicals treat homosexuals the presupposition is this is an abomination to god therefore i can't possibly give any kind of allowance for it or i will be defying god right right and so so the assumption is i i have to stand against this and i see this i mean i see it articulated just that plainly by so many people in comments where they'll say well I can't endorse homosexuality because it's a sin. They're starting with that presupposition and therefore there's no room for the conversation to go anywhere. There's no dialogue mm, mm. because already they've, they've drawn this line that says this is the truth. And so, yeah, let's, let's talk about uh, this conflict, but you're going to have to accept my presupposition for us to even be able to talk. Mm. And it, you, you can't get past that. Now we all bring presuppositions to the table 
I think the challenge, and we have said this over and over and over again, the challenge is for us to be humble enough to admit what our presuppositions are mm-hmm. and to be willing to let those presuppositions, presuppositions be challenged so that we can actually have effectual dialogue. So, like, for example, when I was in high school, I remember talking to a, a Catholic friend of mine on the phone and saying, but, you know, I want you to become a Christian. And, I mean, I literally said this. This is I'm not making this up. And my Catholic friend was offended. And she was like, I am a Christian. Why are you trying to convert me? I'm already a Christian. Mm. But my presupposition was Catholics can't be Christians. Yeah, yeah. Now, thanks to brothers like Gordon Savage, I've learned that I was very wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, and, and, and Gordon would, would say the same thing. that He had to learn that because he was brought up the same way I was. So if if the presupposition is to immediately shut the other down, if, if the presupposition results in that, then then we've we've got to stop. Well, I think at that point, like you said, truth doesn't matter. It's now it's about being unloving. Well, I think our I think the presupposition that we come to the table with is that really there's only a handful of options as to how we can navigate an encounter with the other. We either mm-hmm. have to succumb to their viewpoints, right, or we have to conquer their viewpoints. We either uh-huh. we either have to become like them or assimilate them. And oh, that's that's so true. And I think at the end of the day, what Jesus is calling us to do is neither. He's calling us to love them, which yeah. means that we get to yes. maintain our distinct identity while we allow them uh-huh. to do the same. And we can right. still walk Except together. Them. Because mm-hmm. I don't know about mm-hmm. you, but in in the way that I perceived Christianity for the majority of my life was that my job in life Mm -hmm. was to make people was to make disciples, which meant make them like me. Yes. It basically meant I've got it figured out about who Jesus is. I've got it figured out about what this life with God should look like. And therefore my job is to make sure that other people will become like me so that become like you. Yeah. at, At one point in my life, it would have been, you know, if they're not watching the same movies I'm watching, if they're not listening to the same music I'm listening to, I mean, it got down to that mm-hmm. that level. Right. Where basically, if their lives weren't mirror images right. of mine, then they probably yeah. they might have been saved, but they probably weren't right with God. And yeah. <laughs> they were carnal Christians. <laughs> and little by little, I feel like the Holy Spirit has chipped away at that in my life to the point of yeah. now I'm at a place of. I don't know that anybody should ever be anything like me. And I think that's God's will. And mm-hmm. I can recognize the beauty in all sorts of people that are nothing like right. me whatsoever and never will be like me. And I don't have any desire to either be like them or to mm-hmm. bring them over to my side. Yes. And yeah. I, and isn't that what now, the body's about? Yeah. Why should the eye want to become the hand? Exactly, and and to to tell the hand that they have no need of them. Right, right. So yeah, there, there's a that that's you know it's like I either assimilate them, I become like them, or I cut them off completely. Exactly, exactly. Or ostracize them. Exactly. I, yeah. Or ostracize them. Yeah. yeah. And so I think here, and yeah. here's what I wanted to say about this because I I do I I think this this might address a question that might come up in the minds of some of our listeners. So I want to just say this. This doesn't mean that you are going to be able to walk with everyone. 
because it really does revolve around mutual acceptance of each other. Mm-hmm. But I think that the position of love is to always be open to that mutual acceptance so that I may be able to accept someone else where they're at, but if they can't accept me where I'm at, we're not going to be able to walk together Well, because they're going to be operating under the presupposition that they either have to assimilate or be conquered by. To, to go by... And Go ahead. I'm sorry, man. I... <laughs> no, 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 no. That, that's okay. We, we have about a one-second delay. I, I noticed when we did our count-off at the beginning, there's about a one-second uh, delay on this. So it, we're stepping over each other, but not because we're being rude. <laughs> but uh, what, what, what were you going to say? I, I was just going to say that um, I have no idea what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so see, it was really so, important. So when we – yeah, when, when it might come back to you in a moment. So just jump on here. So, you know, when when we say that we value the other and we love the other and we're willing to accept the other, that is not automatically a, um, going to result in us being able to walk with someone mm-hmm. on this journey. That there are times when we have to say, hey, I, I recognize that we're not on the same page. We're not in the t- sense of we're identical, but that we're not coming at this Point, from a point of mutual understanding and respect. And so, therefore, I'm willing to keep on walking, and I'm always willing to accept you as you are. And if you ever want to accept me as I am, then we'll be fine. You know, we're able to, to walk together. Does that make sense? Well, I think, you know, to come to come back to that document, i.e. scripture, that we're not controlled by, and yet we continue to right. quote, which is so funny mm-hmm. to me still that, we're so yeah. unscriptural, but we're quoting it. Uh, um, <laughs> Always. You know, li- as like Paul said, live at peace with everyone as much as is possible. As with exactly. You. That yeah, at the end of the day, depends on you. our job is to make ourselves available to live at peace with yes. all people. But yeah. the obviously peace is a two-way street. Um, yes. I can be at peace internally, but I can't be at peace in my outward relationships unless the people Mm -hmm. that I'm in relationship with are at peace with me. So obviously it's an impossibility to be in an active relationship with everyone, not only in those situations, but just logistically we have six six to 7 billion people walking around the planet right now. So it's just just not going to happen, but um, let's just get them all in our Facebook group. That's right. That's right. We'll crash. (laughs) We'll crash Zuckerberg's project after all. Yeah. Return the favor. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but you know that I mean at the end of the day we obviously can't walk with everyone but right. that doesn't mean that we can't affirm people where they're at or that we can't recognize good in them where they're at and that right. we can't bless them right. in their journey because right. while I might not agree with everyone or I might not want to I might not want to be um how how's the word I want to say it walking in uh, close connection with, or however you want to say it. Yeah. While that's not yeah. possible with everyone. I mean, I have, right. You know, I have, I, I'm one of the more conservative people when it comes to Facebook. I don't accept every friend request. So, but right. even I have several hundred friends and yeah. the truth of the matter is it's just impossible 
for me to be in close connection with all of those people. It just doesn't happen. Right. But simultaneously, right. I'm making myself, I make, I'm at peace so that I can maintain interactions with any of those people. But also recognize mm-hmm. that there's a lot of people that I'm, for instance, on Facebook with. Facebook's just a good example that I'm on Facebook with that our paths diverge when it comes to a lot of things. And so right. it's just not realistic that I'm going to connect with them on every level or even at a heart level. Right. It yeah. doesn't mean I don't bless them on their journey. It doesn't mean I don't think right. that they're great and that God's doing great things in their lives. It's just... yeah. Logistically, I have to pick and choose, you know, um, how I'm going to spend my time and and what I feel like God's called me to do. And, you know, Mm -hmm. that doesn't it it just is impossible for that path to intersect with every single person. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But. If your path would like to intersect with us from October 16th <laughs> through October 19th, yep. send that email to Ray at beyondtheboxpodcast.com or Steve at beyondtheboxpodcast.com or visit beyondtheboxpodcast.com and leave us an audio comment or a telephone comment or a comment on this post or any kind of comment you that you would like to leave. We'd love yep, to have you at the gathering because we would love to connect Absolutely. with a bunch of you guys. We, I will say this, mm-hmm. um, r- uh, right now we still have plenty of room, but we do yeah. have a capacity, especially on the, um, hotel conference room. So yeah, the meeting we space, yeah. definitely want you to RSVP if at all possible. Um, mm-hmm. the sooner, the better, because logistically we really need to know how many people to plan for. As we're yeah. uh, writing out the schedule of events and kind of figuring out how we're doing everything, we pretty much have a really mm-hmm. good sketch of where this thing's going to go. But you know, if this if it was to balloon and and we ended up with more people than we expected, um, mm-hmm. and parenthetical thought here, we are intentionally keeping it small this year as it is our first one, and we don't right. know completely <laughs> what the heck we're doing. So we're <laughs> yeah, not even yeah, not even remotely helping. <laughs> We're intentionally keeping it small so that we don't embarrass ourselves in front of too many people. But uh, yeah. but anyway, we'd love to have you be a part. So <laughs> send us a message. The sooner the better. We'll get you details yeah. on hotel accommodations, travel accommodations. Um, you know, we've we've got people that can bring you back and forth from hotels and all sorts of stuff. And and some of you guys out there in listening land, maybe you're thinking to yourself, gosh. I'd love to attend, but you know, maybe, maybe I don't have the money for accommodations. You know, why don't, why don't you think about the possibility of splitting accommodations with someone? Maybe there's two, uh, two guys, two gals out there. Um, our Facebook group is a great place to make those connections. If you want to put a post up in our Facebook group and say, Hey, I would love to go to beyond the box gathering, but I really don't want to go Mm -hmm. by myself or I don't want to spring for a hotel room all by myself. I don't want to spring for a rental car or whatever. Um, you know, throw a post up there and I think you'd be surprised at how many people would identify and possibly you'll find someone that you can hook up with and have a great time with at the gathering. Yeah. And I also want to, uh, just say very clearly too, there is no, we're not imposing any kind of fee on participating. 
Uh, As a matter of no fact, we're going in, in the hole for this thing, Kevin. Steve. You and I are personally going yeah, in the right, hole for this right. thing. Yeah, right, right. We're covering so. the we're covering the costs of the room and everything, uh, of the uh, conference room, not your hotel room. All all you are responsible for is your transportation, uh, and probably plan on uh, a couple meals that we're going to go out together as a group. We're we're going to work on those logistics uh, as we figure out exactly how many people are going to be joining us. But um, you know, we'll, you'll be on your own for those costs. But uh, we're not going to. We're not going to ask you to pay any kind of registration fee or conference fee or anything like that. Uh, we're just we're not going to go there. So, um, other than your own costs that you incur in getting there and and housing there, uh, it's completely free. All so. of the events will be free except for the food that you consume and the hotel and the travel. So, yep, everything else um, we're going to have a whole lot of fun. I'm not going to go into all the details on the podcast of all the things we're going to do, but as you can sure. tell from what we've already said. It really is going to be a lot of fun, and we've got a lot of people that are excited about coming from around the country, and yeah. if you want to be part of that, we'd love to have you. Yep, that would be great. Well, Ray, I'm looking forward to seeing you, man. It's not that far away, uh, time-wise or distance-wise, Yeah, uh, but I'm just looking forward to coming over and hanging out with you for a little bit. Uh, we're going to try to get there probably uh, the weekend before uh, is our tentative plan at this point. And we uh, are so super excited my 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 family is excited to get together with your family i'm excited about the beyond the box gathering but i'm also excited to have a couple weeks where i get to hang out with the sensenig family because yeah you and i used to do this all the time we used to spend so much time together and now we have to catch it when we can catch it so yep yep beyond the box started with us getting together on a weekly basis you and i and we did that for a number of years well we we got together um, weekly but then we'd also get together in between we'd go over to each other's houses and yeah we probably yep. were together there was a lot of weeks we were together two and three times a week um yeah and stuff and i miss those days i know me too me too but this is one of the things that i love about uh our relationship ray is that you know because we do make the time for each other uh, and and still endeavor to uh, get together at whatever level we can. Uh, that online and, and uh, phone and stuff makes relationships still possible. Absolutely. Uh, that was the other the other comment that I was making to our friends over at Nomad. Uh, they were raising the question, like, what are the pros and cons of, you know, what benefits do you get from online community? And one of the things that I really feel strongly about is that the technology um, of social networking has enabled us to build relationships and or to maintain relationships with people at distances that would have never been possible in years past. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, some of the people that we've met from all over the world that we've we've gotten to know online and, and really built relationships with. Um, but it's allowed in this context, what I'm talking about is it's allowed you and I to continue our relationship even without those in-person get togethers all the time. Yeah. I mean, it really is. If you think about, you know, just 15 years ago or whatever, if, if you and I, you yeah. know, you'd, you'd went to ten, to Virginia at the time and I'd stayed in North Carolina at the uh-huh. time. And then of course all the transitions we've had in between that time, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, just being able to maintain any kind of connection would have been really difficult but you know it's just funny because i consider you my best friend and we only get to see Mm -hmm. each other about once a year so (laughs) yeah yeah uh, literally and i mean well you know we see each other on skype and we're facebooking Mm -hmm. all the time and you know emailing and 
all that kind of thing. And, but, uh, but we really only get to get together about once a year, but because of the powers of technology, you know, yeah. um, I'm closer to you than I am to, uh, than mm-hmm. the people I, I see eight hours a day. So. Right. Right. Same here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're definitely one of my very best friends, Ray. And, uh, it's always good to talk to you, man. I'm glad we got a chance to, to get behind the mics together and talk some more. Absolutely. Um, and I, we, we welcome feedback from anybody on this. Uh, you know, we've always put these things out there and, and allowed people to comment. Uh, so you can comment on the website or you can comment uh, if you're part of the Facebook group or on our Facebook page. Uh, feel free to give feedback, pushback, critique, high fives, whatever you want to. <laughs> uh, no, no expectations as to group think here. So uh, we love you guys and thank you all for listening. Look forward to the next time. All right, guys, have a good week. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Box. We would love to connect with you online, and we have several ways for you to add your voice to the Beyond the Box community. To become a part of our Facebook community, send a Facebook message to either Rayburn Johnson or Steve Sensenig with a request to join. This group is a safe place to talk about your journey and to think through your walk with God. While you're there, you can like our Facebook page to receive updates on new podcasts and happenings at facebook.com slash beyondthebox. You can also visit our website, beyondtheboxpodcast.com, where you can hear all of our previous podcast discussions, submit ideas for future episodes, check out our blog, and even call us to leave your audio comment or idea. Look for the Call Me widget on the right-hand side of the screen where you can enter your name and phone number to have our answering machine call you, or you can call us directly at 626-24-NO-BOX. That's 626-246-6269. However you choose to connect with us, we just hope you do. You are a welcome part of the community that is... Beyond the Box. Beyond the Box. Beyond the Box. Beyond the Box. Beyond the Box.